Welcome to the Nest and Nurture podcast. I'm your host and psychotherapist, Leisha Cash. Now let's get this therapy session started. Welcome back, everybody. Today is another important podcast episode because this is a topic that I don't feel has been discussed enough. And if it has, it almost has been discussed on different terms. So I am using a term that we have heard of probably many times in the last few years, imposter syndrome. And I'm sure you have a lot of things connected to this term, but have you ever coupled it with perinatal journeys, motherhood, fertility journeys? If you have, then you're on my page. If you haven't, I want to discuss why I associate imposter syndrome with these experiences. So what is it? Well, Oxford Languages describes it as the persistent inability to believe that one's success is deserved or has been legitimately achieved as a result of one's own efforts or skills. Does that sound like you? Does that sound like you in the perinatal journey? I feel like we've been hearing this term more frequently in the recent years. Why is that? Well, perhaps it's a concept that's been around for a long time and felt by many generations, but due to the nature of societal expectations now, or the increased access we have into each other's lives, it's been amplified or more visible. So whatever the case may be, it feels like we've been much more aware of this concept, especially with the rise of career changes and new job opportunities that require much more self-exposure. With many people taking the plunge into entrepreneurship in the ever-expanding technological and social media worlds, many of us are learning as we go. What is often described as winging it or faking it till you make it may also make some people feel like an imposter. Whether it be that they feel uncomfortable or lack confidence, demonstrate self-doubt or engage in negative self-talk, these feelings may spark imposter syndrome. It might be assumed that imposter syndrome is only felt when we're engaged in a career or job opportunity that we don't feel fully confident we should be doing or have received. However, I have met many women who feel that they are experiencing this phenomenon in everyday life during pregnancy and throughout motherhood, especially in the beginning. How can that be? Don't we all have this innate motherly nature that is supposed to kick in the second we conceive, if not before, and stay with us throughout the duration of our pregnancy, only to become more prominent following the birth of our wonderful bundle of joy? Wow, (laughs) that sounds amazing and magical. But let's be practical here. Perinatal life can be hard for many women. There are various moments throughout the journey where you are likely going to feel you're not equipped or have enough experience to handle whatever challenge you are facing. This is normal, but it may not feel good. And therefore, I'm not dismissing these feelings by saying it's normal, like, oh, just get over it. Everybody experiences it. I'm saying you are not alone. Have you ever gone on Google? And ended up in a hole and just continuously researched a topic such as, you know, sleep training or baby led weaning or gone on Instagram accounts like positive parenting and just gone over all of the things because you feel maybe you're not equipped enough to make these decisions. And if that reduces your anxiety, I mean, 
all the power to you. But if it increases it, that's where we have an issue, right? So you are not alone in this. This feeling is hard and it sucks. But know this, you are good enough. You've got this. You're experienced enough. And if you're not, you're going to gain experience. And nobody knows your own experience like you. And if you have a baby, nobody knows that baby. And you are going to learn about that baby. You are the best person for this job. You have everything it takes. However, we need to make sure you are nourished enough to achieve your goals. We need to make sure you have a support team around you so you aren't riding this roller coaster solo. We need to make sure you're not taking on the weight of the world without sharing in some of these responsibilities. We need to make sure that your team is supporting you not only emotionally but physically and also saying, hey, I know you've got all these balls up in the air. I know you can do this. You can definitely, you're capable of all of these things. But I can also relieve some of that pressure. So you can do your best and feel your best. Or not even your best. Just some version of the old self that you might be missing right now. Because without that nourishment and support, you may struggle. And it may feel more challenging for you. And that may create this idea that you might just not be cut out for this job. So let's figure out how we can ensure that you're nourished and supported. And also how we can identify some of those barriers that we might be putting in place. And this is not a blaming scenario. It's just when do we become the barrier to our own self-care? When does that mental roadblock happen where we're having these preconceived ideas of maternal instincts and what a caregiver should look like and preventing us from reaching out for help when we might need it? And this will open up the space to give you the capacity to build that confidence in knowing that you're the best, that you're amazing. And that you're the most fit for this job. Whether it be a fertility journey, a prenatal experience, a postnatal. You and your team got this. Now you just have to believe it. Which is easier said than done. So obviously I am referring to imposter syndrome mostly in this perinatal entering motherhood experience. But it can also occur throughout our life. We see it with our careers and kind of entering the the workforce in different ways or maybe going to school for a program that we don't feel as well equipped for. But it can occur with any big life transition. So perhaps you felt this way when you got married and became a wife and you're like, well, what what does this entail? Like, am I still doing everything I did as a girlfriend? Or does this look different? Do I have some new expectations of me? Perhaps you became an empty nester recently and you're experiencing a whole new identity as a mom without children at home to take care of. Maybe 20 years, maybe even 30 years, maybe even 40 years, you've been taking care of children and your role has turned into this caregiver, very big identity of caregiver role. And now they've spread their little wings and flown off and you're like, okay, I'm still here. What does this mean for me? So whatever it might be, 
There's new life stages can bring on a wave of unknown and an opportunity to relearn who we are. The big issue is we don't often cut ourselves enough slack and say, this may take time to figure out who I am in this role. In the perinatal context, we know that there are many phases one must go through prior to conception and beyond. For the rest of our lives, we will be refining our skills and adjusting with the times, as well as every phase that our children are in. Life transitions are exactly that, a transition, which means we must learn how to adapt to this new phase. Moving from a child to a teenager, to an adolescent, to an adult, to a partner, to a pregnant woman, to a mother, to a grandmother. These are all huge role transitions. We don't just simply change one day and figure it all out immediately. We have to learn and grow with each role change. We give our babies that grace. We say, oh, you're just a baby. You're a newborn. You're learning. Oh, you're a toddler. You make tons of mistakes. You're just learning. Well, you're a kid. You just went to school. You started school. You're just learning. And then at some point, we become adults and we expect ourselves to just know. We don't give ourselves enough grace. We don't give ourselves enough grace when we become a parent. Why do we expect that we will just simply know because of an instinct that we feel should kick in? Why do we question ourselves as humans if it doesn't necessarily instantly kick in? And I'm saying this very lightly because there are things that just instantly kick in, but we probably don't notice them as much as the things that don't. Why do we question ourselves as women, as mothers? I want to take a moment to offer you some grace. And now I want you to take a moment to offer yourself some because that is the first step and it always is the first step in every single podcast you're going to listen to and all of my tools and self-care stuff it's always giving yourself grace so maternal instincts I have so many feelings around this concept this word maternal it can be so amazing but it also can be really damaging to the internal working model. There are so many societal expectations, traditionally rooted, preconceived judgments around that word. And they're dated. Have you ever questioned if you are maternal? And what does it mean if you're not? Does that mean that you won't be a good parent? Does that mean you won't provide for and love your babies as much as humanly possible? Does that mean you won't be able to keep your babies fed or clothed or nurtured or loved, safe or healthy? Surely not. But why would we then question if we do not feel we are maternal enough to have children? And does being a maternal human being mean that you have to have children? Does it mean that if you decide not to have children that you are not maternal? Is it a requirement if you are maternal that you must procreate? I mean, I want to say surely not, but I know there's judgment around that. 
if you don't deem yourself or if others perceive you as not very maternal, does that mean you will not be a good caregiver? What is maternal? Have you ever stopped to think about that? I have. I definitely have. (laughs) Before kids, I was like, okay, I love my family. I love the kids in my family. I love working with children. I was a a child therapist. I, you know, I I love to, to support children. But does that mean that I want my own? Like, am I going to be good at this? And then I had my own kids. And I was like, oh, you don't need to feel all these like maternal warm and fuzzies before you have kids and you can still love your own kids. You can still enjoy their time with you and, and still, you know, feel like you're doing a good job. Not enough people talk about that. And I think the bigger reason for that is because it is potentially shameful. It's judged. There's preconceived judgment around, you know, just the thought of it being a female and not having children. I think we're getting a little bit better, but there's still, it's still there, right? If somebody's like, oh, you're not going to have kids. Why? There's, there's stuff there. So maybe we don't share as much. Hey, I think I want kids. I don't really enjoy the company of other children. Does that mean I'm not going to want to have my own kids? And that's a bigger question. I mean, it could mean that you're not going to enjoy having kids, but it could also mean that you're going to love your own. But it really comes down to navigating what your definition of maternal is. What is perceived to be maternal is based on personal perception. And each person lives within their own context. And therefore, it's so important not to compare ourselves to other versions of what maternal looks like. But how? How do we not compare, right? We're living in that world right now where it's so easy to compare. And comparison is a huge topic. And I think we'll have to save it for another episode. But knowing that it exists in this world is important. But more often than not, our root core beliefs start developing in childhood. And many of our perspectives on child rearing, maternal ability, relationships, and communication are derived and reinforced by our experiences growing up. Therefore, we're often looking at our maternal instincts from the lens of whatever our maternal caregivers provided or portrayed. And that could be either positive or negative, And we adjust accordingly. Sometimes we strive to be very different from our parents and actively work to make changes in that regard. Sometimes we, we know that there was something that didn't work for us or didn't feel good, but we can't quite put our finger on it. And we, we want to make changes, but we just don't really know how. And other times these standards can be really hard to live up to. Maybe we really admired our parents. Maybe they did things that we didn't have the capacity to do or don't have the capacity to do. And then we feel like it's unrealistic. One reason for that might be the fact that times have changed drastically since our maternal figure raised us. There's so many new challenges and expectations. And there were challenges and expectations then as well. But we have more access to other people and how they are portraying this kind of role. Therefore, if we're coming from a space of having these unrealistic high standards, we are likely already at a disadvantage in regards to what we feel are realistic ideals. 
In addition, we cannot simply ignore that when we're going through our journey to become parents and once in motherhood, we might have a partner who is also experiencing this life change with us and has their own set of expectations around maternal ideals. Even simply having this awareness can make you feel insecure. So what do I mean by this? Well, for example, if your partner had a motherly figure who sacrificed her career to stay home and raise her family, and you know your partner really values that experience, it might heighten your anxiety around their expectations for you. And this might not even be an explicit conversation you have. This might just be simple awareness of his perceptions of, you know, his mother being at home and how you're currently feeling about that. And perhaps you really identify with your career and you find it hard to imagine not working soon after the baby is born. And even if your partner's like, I totally understand, I get it, there might still be this stream of consciousness that says, does he really get it though? And even having that conversation with your partner might be challenging. But it may also result in you calling into question whether or not you are maternal enough for this. If you should want to stay home with your babies all of the time. If there's something wrong with you for not wanting that for yourself. So it's not only that they might have that perception or they might not and questioning if, if they're feeling that way. But also you saying, shouldn't I want that? Like, I, I'm becoming pregnant. I am pregnant. I'm about to have a baby or you had the baby and I want to be back at work or I, I wish, you know, I was doing something else. What does that say about me? It calls yourself into question. So two things I want to mention here. First, the times have changed. In relation to this kind of scenario that I brought up, the example, times are very different. There were different expectations and different circumstances, which may have led to decisions to stay home and raise children instead of going back into a career. Second, has anyone asked that person how happy they were to be at home, maybe sacrifice their career and raise their babies? And I say this lightly because I'm sure at this point, if you did ask, they might say, how wonderful it was, how much they valued the extra time with their babies because their babies are all grown up, right? And I'm sure there was value and I'm sure there were wonderful moments and I'm sure that they enjoyed some aspects of doing that. And I'm sure there's pride in that, in that sacrifice to be able to do that because they may reflect on now and be like, I can't imagine not going back to work because financially we wouldn't be able to afford it. There's a lot of perspective shifts as time goes on. Or they may be honest. They may say it was really hard and that they wish they could have done both or it could have been different, but they wouldn't change it. Or if they could go back, they would change it. They might share those things. But overall, they're no longer in that life stage. And it would be kind of hard to really fully gauge what their exact experience was at that time. And there are some women who likely felt very secure in that position because perhaps it was also ingrained in them as children that this is the way it went. You know, women stayed home and they raised their babies just like their mom did and their mom before that. So it really comes down to that generational perspective as well, the culture. So even if we ask and reflect, it's really hard to compare. So if you went back in time, 
I would not be surprised if the joy they felt then was the same amount as women today who are doing the same thing. I recently read a book, To Have and to Hold, by Molly Millwood, and it was discussing how mothers who are playing with their babies at 11 a.m. often experience the same joy as when they're vacuuming at 4 p.m. And I laughed because I thought, (laughs) yeah, I mean, sometimes when I'm playing with my toddler doing, you know, endless amounts of pretend play, I am not feeling like I love this moment, you know? I like watching them. I think that it's interesting to, you know, see what their imagination can create. Um, But I don't necessarily sit there and think, wow, I'm filling my cup. I feel so good. And then I'm vacuuming. And I mean, there's some joy in cleaning, I guess, and seeing all the crumbs that they've let (laughs) go on the ground be sucked up and off my floors. But again, it's not filling my cup. It's just something that I'm doing to, you know, keep our house clean. So I I really feel like that should be discussed more widely that, you know, pretend play is not necessarily enjoyed all of the time. And it doesn't make you a bad parent or say that you're not maternal enough for this job. If you're not sitting there going, I love this every moment of this. If you don't notice that you're getting zoned out because you're thinking about, oh, I have a thousand things I need to do right now, but I need to engage with my baby because, you know, they need that stimulation. Maybe you've played with them doing the same imaginary play every single day this week and you're just not feeling it anymore. That's okay. Our kids fill their cup that way. We do not. We might get some ounces in there of just bonding time that we enjoy but we don't necessarily sit there and enjoy every single moment and that's fair so I know you're probably thinking okay Leisha if this is ingrained in my core beliefs and reinforced throughout my life in various ways how can I even combat this how can I combat imposter syndrome if I'm feeling it if I enter motherhood and I say I don't know what the heck I'm doing what's even happening right now I don't even feel like I've got any control. I I don't feel like myself. I don't know if I was cut out for this. I, you know, I questioned if I was going to have children and now I'm thinking, oh my gosh, did I make the wrong choice? Does my baby even like me? Am I doing a good enough job? Maybe you've got a baby who's colic and they will not stop screaming. And if it's your first and you have no other comparable child and experience, you might think this is fully you. This is a you thing. It's not a baby thing. It's a baby thing. Let me just tell you, it's a baby thing. But it calls into question your abilities. And that's like an external factor. But you got all these other things going on internally. So how can you even work on that? Well, first, knowing that you're not alone in this. Okay? You are not alone in these thoughts. Some people may not be to the point of imposter syndrome, but I'm sure... They have experienced some question of, am I doing a good enough job? Am I doing enough? Should I be spending more time with my baby? Am I engaging enough? I'm on my phone. Was that bad? Because now baby is wondering if I care about them. Should I be entertaining them all day? Or can they relax and do independent play? There are moms having these internal dialogues. You are not alone. Second, that time will build confidence. 
I know it's hard in the moment when you're experiencing all of these things to be reminded that time shifts things and you're like, I just need it to happen now. But just like a new job, the more you do it, the further you develop the skills, you immerse yourself in it more, you learn, you grow, and you feel more confident. And the imposter syndrome slowly dissipates. And with babies, it's the same, you know? In pregnancy, you only have nine months to adjust to that. But when you meet your baby, you have a long time. (laughs) And you become the expert in them. Nobody knows as much as you and potentially your partner. Potentially. (laughs) But in the meantime, here is an exercise you can do to start navigating these feelings. So when you know you're not alone and you know this is going to take time, you take it to the next step and say, I'm going to do this exercise just to continue to work through some of these feelings. Because as always, when it comes to the perinatal period, we need to combat these experiences with a team approach. So you're not alone in this. But in the meantime, here's an exercise you can do to start navigating these feelings. It starts with you, but it incorporates others as well. Because as always, when it comes to the perinatal period, if you have a partner in this, if you have a support team, you can work on these things by yourself, but you need a team around you as well. You need to be nourished. You're not alone in this. It's important to also accept support from others and have them offer it as well and just create that dynamic to help you feel secure in this experience, to feel supported and validated. There are three parts to this exercise and I'm going to cover all of them. And you can do them in whatever order. Like if you already are there and you know, you can skip to the next. But Sometimes I even have to remind people to go back and say, okay, have you fully discovered this step of the exercise? The imposter syndrome exercise. Okay, so first we're going to go back in time. And I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. If you have ever done therapy before or if you have heard of talk therapy, you probably know that therapists like to go back in time. They like to look at your childhood and you might think, okay, I'm trying to live in the present moment. Why are we always going back? Because we have to look at our roots because they have created the human you are today, whether it be positive things that you've experienced in your childhood or negative. They are a part of your system. If you haven't seen the movie Inside Out, you should watch it because I watched it recently with my daughter and I thought, yeah, like core systems and they get reinforced by all these things it was like everything I do in session just really simply defined in a little kid's movie and I think everybody should watch it I think it's really important as our children grow up to reinforce this emotional intelligence and build these connections that everything we learn in childhood shapes us as humans and then either you know interrupts a normal processing in our adulthood or creates positive reinforcement for really amazing things that happen in our adulthood. So we're going back in time. We're looking at our roots in this first step. Our developmental experiences with our caregivers as they have shaped us. And this can be challenging. I mean, if you had challenging relationships with your parents um, and your caregivers, 
that can make this step really hard, right? But it really is important, especially going through the perinatal period. I always want to know about your relationships with your parents, how they, you know, experienced their caregiving role. Were they supportive? Were they not? Were they absent? Were they emotionally absent or physically absent? Were they present? What did it look like? It's so important because as we enter our own parenting journey, that stuff comes up and so does our partners. And that expectation they have on what it looks like and the expectation you have of what it looks like could be very different. So the first question I want you to ask yourself is, what do I want to embody as a caregiver that I valued in my maternal or paternal figure? What do you want to embody? What about them or your experience with them as a child did you like? What felt good? What might not have felt good then, but you want to instill now because you've come become an adult and realize the value of it? What do you not want to embody as a caregiver that you might not have appreciated in your caregivers at the time? What about your partners? What do you know about your partner's journey in childhood and his connection with his parents? What does it look like now? What are the positives? What are the negatives? How do you see it in your relationship? Where did, how does it show up in your communication patterns? And if you are parents, how does it show up in his parenting style, his caregiver role with his children? Is it worth a further discussion? Is that something you can talk about with your partner? How did they feel about it when they were growing up? What do you see in your relationship that is kind of derived from that relationship with their caregivers that he might have experienced? So that's the first step. Really looking back in time, seeing where you were then, seeing where you are now, what core beliefs were reinstilled throughout, what things were kind of like, I'm never going to do that. How many times have we heard people say, oh my gosh, I'm turning out to be just like my mother. And either that's a good thing or it's a negative thing. Usually when we say it, it's kind of like, oh no, I'm my mom. I'm asking the kids for the fifth time today to clean their room. So really noticing, you know, even in those moments, why? Why are we having a hard time with that? The next step is defining maternal. So we now know, you know, our core beliefs and how they were reinstilled by our parents and our caregivers. But what makes a good caregiver to you now that you have this insight? Has it shifted? Is it vastly different from what you once thought? Maybe it is before kids we say, I'm never going to let my kid have an iPad at a restaurant. And then you go to a restaurant with your three kids and or two kids or one kid and they're screaming at the top of their lungs And you just ordered your food and it's on its way out. And they're like, done, out, now, screaming. And you bust out the iPad. Do you have a moment of, oh, I'm such a bad parent? Or are you like, no, I'm a good caregiver regardless of this moment right now because this is survival mode and I'm going to do this. And have your opinion shifted from, I'm never going to give my kid an iPad at a restaurant in that judgy way that we do that? (laughs) Or, 
are we still doing that? Are we surviving the screaming and we're still sticking to that maternal figure uh, ideal that we're not going to, you know, succumb to these, what we would quote unquote say crutches. You do you, whatever the heck you want. Survival, that is the most important thing. And eating is survival. Social atmospheres is necessity, right? We need to be able to do these things. If we can't, we don't cope well. So do what you need to do. 30 minutes of iPad time is not going to change the world, right? It's not going to change their world. They're going to be okay. Okay, so that was a little bit off topic. But what makes you a good caregiver? Make a list. Do whatever you'd like to do to start identifying what makes a good caregiver. Some people like to write this down. Some people like to jot a note. Some people just like to let it stew internally. Once you have that list, I challenge you to review it. And I'm saying this in a sense of like, make a list of what you think maternal looks like. And then compare it to yourself. So if you say maternal looks like being consistently present with my children when we're playing emotionally, physically, and then you look at yourself and you go, oh, well, I, I'm not always that way, so I'm not maternal. Or, oh, I struggle with that sometimes. Like, that's why I question myself. I say, okay, let's go back to that. Is that actually something that you feel is a maternal thing? Or is it you hope that you can be present for your children when you're playing, but does that make you not maternal? So we're like, we're questioning these concepts. We're questioning these ideals and beliefs about what maternal is. So I'm challenging you to go deeper and I want you to think small picture rather than big. Because if we look at the whole thing, it can be super overwhelming, right? We want to really scale it down because we can probably find moments like big moments where we're mad or angry with ourselves or our children, maybe frustrated with our partners or loved ones. And this can make us feel embarrassed or guilty or shame or unhappy with ourselves. And that's not what's required in this exercise. I want you to focus on small moments. What makes a good caregiver in the smallest ways, which are often the biggest, and I want you to review your list. And I want you to start noticing how you have demonstrated those small things in your caregiver role. Whether it be your fertility journey, your prenatal journey, or your postnatal. It's the small sparks that I'm always looking for. Because I'm going to give a really concrete example. If on your list you have a good maternal figure or caregiver plays with their children and they're present and they're emotionally focused and they're in that moment. They're fully in it and they enjoy it. And that's the key piece. They enjoy playing with their children. I would break it down because when you compare yourself, you might say, well, yesterday I played with my child, but I really was like scrolling my phone part of the time. I was unfocused. I was present physically, but I was not present emotionally. I was thinking about the laundry that I really wanted to fold and I couldn't wait for this moment to be over. Therefore, on my list, I have a good caregiver is one that's paying attention and playing and enjoying this moment, and I'm not. So I'm not a good caregiver. 
and I scale it way back and I say, but did you play with your child on the floor today for 15 minutes? You were a great parent. You saw your child would benefit from some one-on-one time and you engaged in it. Maybe you didn't. Maybe you couldn't that day. So you were like, oh, you know, I'm supposed to give my child time every single day. And today I couldn't. And I, and I go, okay, well, did you feed your child and talk to them at the same time? Like, did you give them their food and say, here you go, honey, there's your lunch, whatever it is. Did you engage with them one-on-one? Because that engagement one-on-one, that communication is really good for them, right? Bonding, attachment, building more attachment moments. Those are really, really good things. So I really want you to break down what a caregiver is. Not the big stuff. We sometimes think about like the big birthday parties, the over the top, the play dates that you're really engaged in. Sometimes you just don't have the capacity. So let's scale it back. What is a good caregiver? Did you keep them clothed? Did you change their bum? Did you give them food? Did you think, oh, this is their favorite snack. I'm going to cut that up for them. Did you buy groceries thinking of, oh, my kids would love this or that? Are you pregnant? Did you do a nice yoga class where you got to bond with your baby for a moment? Did you do deep breathing? Did you take care of yourself today in order to take care of them? That is a good caregiver. Somebody who's filling their cup to take care of others. We have to really scale back our expectations because you are doing an amazing job. You got out of bed for your baby today after you did not sleep all night. You rolled out of bed with your pregnant body. You walked to the bathroom so you could use it because you can't walk because you're carrying a human. You're doing your best with what you got and your capacity that you have in this moment. We need to lower our expectations because you are doing it. You're meeting their needs. And you know what? If you don't meet their needs one day, meet them the next day, right? If you can't be fully present, meet them the next day. And I say this as well also reinforcing taking care of yourself above all else, right? If you're not able to meet their needs and there's something bigger going on, getting support, whether it be professional support through a therapist or reaching out to those people, right? If you're not meeting their needs because you're unavailable emotionally, because you have anxiety or depression like perinatal mood disorder You're meeting their needs in terms of getting them dressed and and giving them food, but you're really unavailable emotionally. That's where we say, okay, let's take this a step further and get you some support. So number three, the third step in this process is going further with this and it includes your support team. So when I talked about nourishment earlier, that's what I was referring to. We need to take care of ourselves, but we need others on our team. I want you to think about why you might not be able to find examples of when you've been a good caregiver, if you can't. If you can't find one little thing, why? What are the barriers to this? So for step three, we're going further with this. We're taking our list, we're really navigating any areas that we define as a good caregiver that we feel we're not doing. I want you to take it a step further and think about why. Why might that be the case? What are the barriers there that are preventing that from happening? What ways could you embody these qualities? 
And are you, are you being too hard on yourself? Are these expectations too high? And maybe that takes a professional saying that or you support people to say, oh my gosh, why do you expect that of yourself? If your best friend told you that they expected that out of a caregiver and to make them maternal enough and to make them a good caregiver, would you say, oh my gosh, you're expecting way too much of yourself? What small changes could you make to feel better about that? Who would need to support you to make this happen? Who in your world could nourish you more, could offer support, could take away some of the craziness going on in order to make sure that you have access to the things that would make you feel like a better caregiver because I'm sure you already are. Maybe it's someone just saying you're doing a great job. Think about all the times in life we got an A on our paper and it felt good. And then we thought, why didn't I get an A plus? <laughs> We're always striving for some kind of evidence that we are doing a good job. And in this journey, it's really hard to get that evidence. So if we can't get it from our babies, or we can't get it from our pregnant bodies, or we can't get it from our fertility journeys, we need our outside support to even just suggest it. And we could roll our eyes and be like, oh, whatever, you just have to say that. But we need to hear it. So if you are struggling, saying it to the people you can trust. Look, I'm feeling like I'm not cut out for this job. I don't know if I'm a good enough mom. I can't seem to get my act together. I yelled at my kids today. I was just like so overwhelmed and I hate yelling at my kids. I felt like so bad afterwards. And you need someone to say, oh my gosh, you're burnt out okay they're gonna be fine you know what's going on with you how can we make you feel better so that you don't have to yell because you you know there's moments of that and it happens but that you don't feel bad afterwards and it happens less frequently you have the capacity to process and communicate more effectively so I want you to ask yourself about who's on your team and who can support you And then I want you to go back to this and I want you to revisit the question. You may actually find that once you remove yourself from this process and take a minute and process what you've written down and start to notice, start to see yourself in those moments and say, oh, I may not feel like the best caregiver right now because I just scrolled on my phone for a moment instead of watching my child put the blocks together, but it refreshed me for a minute. I came back to the room. I reminded myself I'm a good parent. I'm still playing with my child. I'm in this physical space with them. Now, why did I have to scroll? Do I need some time for myself? Maybe I haven't done anything for myself this week. Maybe that's what's pulling my presence. So it's not only making you accountable for checking in with yourself to ensure that you're taking care of yourself and that you have that time, but then it's also reminding you, I am still doing a good job regardless of the fact that I may be depleted and need more time for myself. You can start taking note of how you embody those qualities that you deem to be a good caregiver in smaller ways. And then as you start to notice, it helps reinforce, build that confidence. It's going to help you see that you are cut out for this. And when somebody says, oh, your baby's screaming, can I hand her back to you? And you take the baby back and you instantly soothe them. That's positive reinforcement that you are the best person for this job. 
And maybe they don't settle right away, but you can tell that they're eased by that. Your colic babies may not settle right away, so it's really hard. But you will learn your baby better than anyone else, right? It's just hard to see sometimes when you're pregnant or when you're in it at the beginning. And then you have to relearn if you have additional children. (laughs) What's really important throughout these exercises is to note, if you simply cannot identify in any way that you possess positive qualities, this is a deeper concern. And I really would suggest at that point, you seek additional resources and support to help you find the light in your journey. And as always, this is not meant to serve as therapy for you. This podcast is to support you through your journey and maybe highlight areas that you could work on with a professional therapist or that you could address with your support team. Imposter syndrome is not often compared to motherhood. And I have heard it so many times in session. Am I going to be good enough? I'm worried. I'm anxious. I don't feel connected to this pregnancy. Does that mean I'm not going to have a bond with my baby? Or they're born. I don't have a bond with this baby yet. Does that mean I'm not going to be a mom? I'm really struggling. I don't know what I'm doing. There's no, there's no support. I have no idea. I, I just, I'm just handed this child and I have no clue. And I'm like, just give it some time. Let's talk about this. Give yourself some grace. You've never met this human before. They're unpredictable. It's a, it's a them thing. You just entered a new life stage. You have no idea what you're doing. <laughs> Why do you expect yourself to know? We want that light bulb to go off and say, oh, I got this. I got this. I'm doing a great job, but it doesn't always happen. But I also want to say there's seasons for everything. So you could be in a really hard season right now where you're not able to say, I got this. This light bulb went off. My maternal instincts are kicking in. But you might get that in the toddler phase where someone else is like, oh my gosh, I thought I was maternal because I, my newborn phase went so well, but now I have no idea what I'm doing. Am I a good enough mom? Can I handle this life? Is this forever? So also knowing that each life stage, or sorry, so also knowing that each season, whether it be fertility journey, pregnancy, postpartum, teenage years, adulthood, you know, the empty nest experience, it can all be transitional times where we question ourselves. And in some seasons, we can feel like, I got this. And in others, we might not. And that does not say anything deeper about you as a person. It just means that you have to learn and grow. It's another opportunity to kind of shift. And that takes time. And that takes grace. So I hope that this podcast episode was helpful in some way. I hope that you can start to identify what caregiver qualities that you possess, what caregiver qualities you would like to possess, what you already have inside you that you don't even realize, and build some confidence in knowing that even if you don't have it right now, even if it doesn't feel like you do right in this moment with time, You will. And that imposter syndrome will dissipate. 
And then you'll enter another stage of life and have to figure it out. But until then, just give yourself some grace. Thank you so much for listening. And in case someone hasn't already told you today, you are amazing. Take care. Bye-bye.